2015 was a record year for healthcare sector cyber attacks. So what should healthcare organizations be bracing themselves for in 2016? I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Dr. John Halemka, CIO of Beth Israel Deaconess Health System in Boston. John will be discussing some of his health information security and privacy predictions and priorities for the year ahead. So now, John, for starters, as you look back at 2015, what's been most surprising to you in terms of the state of cybersecurity in the healthcare sector? When I started as a CIO in 1997, the threats were MIT students. They were folks who wanted to prove they could get into a Harvard network. It was a badge of courage. Increasingly, in 2015, we're seeing state-sponsored cyberterrorism, We're seeing hacktivism. We're seeing organized crime. The nature of the attackers and the attacks is more sophisticated than we've ever seen before. So now, what are your predictions for privacy and security trends in 2016, including new challenges that the healthcare sector might be faced with? It's only going to get worse. The threats are only going to get more severe. Uh, Recently, the Attorney General for National Security of the Department of Justice visited Boston to meet with all the healthcare and university CIOs and CISOs to talk about the nature of the threats. His comment to us, and, you know, of course, we all respect his opinion, is that if you have an Internet-connected device, it will be compromised. It's just a question of when. And this is because the nature of the attackers, the resources being put into the attacks, is so significant. From the healthcare perspective, we still spend 2 to 3% of our operating budget on IT. And of that 2 or 3%, maybe 5% is going to security. So if an attacker wants to compromise identity, use servers for trampolining into other servers, send spam, Are you going to attack Fidelity that spends 35% of its operating budget on IT or a hospital with 2%? (laughs) The answer is you're going to go after the 2%. So hospitals are being targeted. It isn't just simple malware. It isn't just simple the usual Internet noise. It's directed attacks at hospitals for medical identity theft and fraud. So, John, with that said, what are some of your top security and privacy priorities for 2016 and why? Whenever I'm asked a question like that, I say we have to look at technology, policy, and education. So on the technology side, of course, all of my CISO friends say, don't mention any specific technologies. It'll give the hackers a leg up. But what you'd say is increasingly we're getting vast amounts of log files from many devices and there's a lot of noise there. It's really challenging to separate the wheat from the chaff. So I would say the technology focus has got to be what are those what I'll call security analytics systems and visualizations that you can put in so that if an event occurs, you can rapidly detect it, you can analyze new vulnerabilities and determine your mitigations for emerging threats. So it's, it's really more about turning the data into wisdom. If you look at the policy side, as hard as this is, it's increasingly important that we restrict the behavior of individuals more than we ever have before. 
So sure, was it okay if, say, five years ago, you used your child's home computer to access medical records? Well, this is the same computer that has been downloading infected games, probably has screen scrapers and keystroke loggers. It's just no longer acceptable. So more and more policy about endpoint protection and good security practice. And that really complements education. Uh, Not a day goes by where we don't all receive some kind of email with a phishing or spear phishing campaign. They're getting increasingly sophisticated. Uh, Gone are the grammatical errors and spelling mistakes and the urgency to give bank accounts and DNA samples. In fact, you're now being asked to click on links that look very much like an institutional link to perform an essential institutional function. And that is the issue we really have to educate our workforce about. So now, John, with that all said, and you also made the point that in general, healthcare sector, security budgets are slim compared to other industries. How do you juggle those resources that are needed to carry through with all of this if you have enough resources to be monitoring if something unusual is being seen by you know, the analytic systems? Any, any tips for others in how to stretch their resources? All right, so you, of course, have three options with any project in IT as you think about scope, time, and resources. You could decrease the scope of work. You could increase the time of work. You could increase the resources. These are all ways of getting projects done. Well, clearly with security, we have to increase the scope. And clearly with security, we have to decrease the time. So the only answer really is increase the resources. And the two ways to do that are boards and senior management are increasingly aware of the reputational consequences of a breach So it's likely that boards and senior management will, in 2016, approve requests for new security staff. And if for some reason they don't, then redirecting the staff of the IT department to allocate a larger proportion of their time to security is a really must-do. Whenever I do Gantt charts, I say, this is what we must do to keep out of prison or to keep our reputation intact, and this is a nice-to-have. So let's actually consider security a must-do. So now I understand that you've also added to your security staff recently. What skills and expertise have been most challenging when it comes to information security and privacy these days? Well, hiring great, experienced security staff in general is quite hard because the demand across the industry, healthcare and other industries, far exceeds supply. So the question, if you know you have 100 jobs for 10 people, what do you do? And what we've been successful doing is take very energetic people with a desire to learn the technology and train them from within and develop them into security professionals. So, of course, we want folks who know the products and technologies. We want folks who know forensics. We want folks who know incident response. We want folks who know how to generally deal with the day-to-day operations of a security infrastructure. And I hire when I can. I train if I can't hire. And certainly we are looking for managed security services providers because sometimes it makes more sense to purchase services from a firm. So now, John, I also understand that BIDMC has signed several vendor contracts in 2015 that include new liability language that protects 
the medical center and the health system against third-party claims around breach issues. How receptive have your vendors been to sign agreements with those sorts of terms? And looking ahead, will you steer away from working with vendors that don't agree to those terms? So it's interesting. Our legal department has a business associate agreement, which includes indemnification language, and the legal department will not alter that language. So I think it's fair to say that unless a vendor signs our business associate agreement and has specific language on limitations of liability, we will not do business with them. We just can't. So imagine that in a world of cloud computing, we give 100,000 patient records to some company that is providing a secure service, and through the fault of that company, the information is spilled. What is the cost today from a reputational standpoint, third-party claim standpoint, forensics and incident management of such a breach? Five or ten million dollars is not unusual. So if a company says, oh, gee, if we breach your data, you, the hospital, will fund all third-party expenses, non-starter conversation. So now, John, going back to priorities for a second, ONC's leader, Karen DeSalvo, recently said that it's ONC's goal by the end of 2016 for securely connecting the nation's health information exchanges, including state and other public HIEs as well as private HIEs. Now, that's been a ONC vision for a while. Do you think we're any closer to making secure nationwide health information exchange a reality by the end of next year, and why? So I called ONC and asked for more details on that statement because it sounded overly ambitious. And here's what I received as an answer from ONC senior staff. What Karen was referring to was the connection of a very specific transaction the admit discharge transfer transaction across existent health information exchanges that already process that transaction. It is, of course, far too ambitious to say we will exchange all types of data for all purposes with all people in 2016. I mean, that's a journey that will take us a decade or more. But to focus on one transaction and one use case, admission notification, making sure that as transitions of care occur, team members patients, families, doctors, nurses, care managers are informed, is a reasonable effort. Probably will take longer than 2016 for the policy rather than the technology reasons. How do I get your permission to send, say, your admission to a psychiatric facility or a substance abuse treatment facility or an HIV treatment facility? Each state law has a different answer, so we will all work diligently on this. It's important work but it will still take a while. And finally, John, now OCR says that in 2016 they're going to begin their next phase of HIPAA compliance audits. Any particular tips that you have about dealing with OCR or any of the sort of enforcement agencies when it comes to HIPAA matters, whether it's breaches or audits or that sort of thing? Anything that's useful, do you think, for other organizations to kind of keep in mind if they have either attorney generals or OCR knocking at their door? So this may sound like a bit of levity, but sometimes I say government authorities assess the maturity of your security plan based on the weight of your documentation. Here's 50 pounds. We are very mature. And I say that, I mean, yes, it's part levity, but I think it's largely true. 
If you meet with a member of state or federal government and say, we've just installed Palo Alto, FireEye, SourceFire, and three other vendors, their eyes will glaze over. If you say, we have adopted the NIST 800 framework, and here is a set of documents identifying our business impact analysis, our threat analysis, and our mitigation plan based on a solid framework, then the authorities will say, wow, you have really done an excellent job. So focus on documentation, use a framework like NIST, and do not focus on the cool technologies, even though those may be the fun part of the job. With that said, do you think there's too much focus on HIPAA compliance versus other technologies, other processes that might not be part of HIPAA that could be even more beneficial? I was recently at a conference where we asked this question, is compliance the same thing as security? And the answer is, they're two sides of the same coin. So just recognize that, yes, it is very likely to be compliant that the security folks will want to implement policies, technology, and education but it isn't sufficient to just stop at being compliant. You really need to understand your risks because, as you said, many of the risks aren't enumerated in existent regulation. So make sure that as you analyze your risks in 2016, you have a plan for mitigation. We know we'll never be perfect. We know we'll never be done. But at least year to year, we'll get better and better. Thanks, John. I've been speaking to John Halemka. I'm Marian Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.